But we're going to be in Psalm 62 today. This is the Psalm of David, written in the time of perplexion and distress when he felt buffeted about and attacked by people. We're not sure the exact historical moment of this psalm, but it is a personal reflection by King David. I'll read the first 10 verses. David writes, for, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood and they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They're altogether lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set your heart not upon them. Lord, we pray that you take your word and make application to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So recently we've experienced two incredible phenomena in our area. One was the solar eclipse of August the 21st, and the second, of course, has been this hurricane that threatened our city and our state. Regarding the first, we were in, on the West Coast in late June, and we've been told that our daughter-in-law and our grandchildren are going to be here 13 July through 28 July for two weeks for a marvelous, wonderful wedding that took place that weekend, the last weekend. And uh, our house is being remodeled, so my wife kept telling me, she said, you, you need to find alternative housing just in case we can't get in our house during that time. And I was negligent in doing so. So we were on the West Coast and I set apart a few hours to go on Airbnb and to check and everywhere I called uh, and everywhere I checked, they said, well, we can house you the 13th of July through the uh, 18th, but we are totally booked from the 18th to the 22nd. I mean, time after time, I called one, we'll call Wild Dunes. And they said the same thing. And I finally said, you know, I, I identified that I was from Charleston looking for temporary housing. I said, why are you booked? And the woman said, well, sir, because of the total solar eclipse. And I said this, what solar eclipse? <laughs> and there is a brief pause on the other end. She said, well, sir, the total solar eclipse of the 21st of July. And I went, I, I had no idea. I, I, I don't read the local papers. And then I started reading and we're going to have 1 million visitors in our state and there's going to be gridlock and there'll be no food and EMS will not be able to get to us. And uh, you know, all, all these incredible predictions. And, but anyway, so inside, I got to be honest, inside I was scoffing. I was going, come on. I mean, it gets dark every night, you know. Um, what is the big deal? I, I didn't say it out loud, but I, I was thinking it. And I'll confess that to you. 
And we even had a solar eclipse party at our house. We had some people over and had the glasses, you know, we, the, the really outstanding glasses. You go get up there. Um, so anyway, and I've got to tell you that when it happened, I was absolutely blown away. I had, I had to repent, really, of my inner attitude. I was reading an article, this is from the Weekly Standard, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs. It's a wonderful magazine on political issues and cultural issues. And this is written by a man who lives, he's a guest editorialist from Columbia. I've never met him, his name's Barton Swain, but he's, it's really a good article. I'll just read three or four paragraphs. He said, Columbia, South Carolina is known for its excessive heat, and that's about it. The place has its benefits and the weather is splendid in nine months out of the year, but like some other state capitals, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for example, it is not a destination. When I'm in Washington, I tell someone that I live in Columbia, they reply usually, quote, oh right, I've been to Charleston, close quote. And he says, and that's the way I prefer it. A lot of new people can only mean more traffic, higher taxes, and more stupid arts festivals. He said, when it came to uh, the solar eclipse, Southerners are rightly ridiculed for stocking up on food at the, <laughs> at the merest threat of snow or ice. Now we were doing it in the dead of summer. All this together with the eclipse mania happening across the country made me dread the whole thing. I want no part of the fun, plus all the focus on scanning the sky seemed vaguely astrological or pagan to my Christian sensibilities. I don't worship the moon or the sun or both together, especially when doing so might fry my retinas. And then he says this. They went to a local Baptist church that was having an eclipse outreach party. And he says this. I looked through my glasses and quietly gasped. A deep orange globe with a mysterious dark competitor slowly moving to intercept it. The obscurity was still only partial, but suddenly it made perfect sense to chase eclipses all over the world as I've read that some people really do. I had seen a partial solar eclipse before in 1984 and found the experience unmemorable. My mother allowed me to look at it for a few seconds through a piece of wax paper, but this eclipse still only halfway to totality, shocked me. It was a little like being lost and suddenly finding your bearings. At last you realized you'd been standing on this green sphere that slowly rotates to give all its surfaces a measure of heat and light. The sky grew darker, the street lights turned on, and the crickets reluctantly began chirping. The dim sun gave everything around us a tint of blue I don't think I've ever seen before. Then the sky turned almost black as night and we shed our glasses and there was a flaming ring suspended in the air. I felt I could almost put my finger through it. For a few minutes after it was over, I, had, I would have crossed the world to see it again. This inscrutable spectacle of the sun and the moon ruling at once. The old man beside me clasped his hands in prayer. I kept my glasses on and pretended that I hadn't cried. That's kind of my feeling. I was absolutely blown away by the glory and the majesty of creation. It was a wow event. This hurricane is a wow event in this regard. While the eclipse filled me with wonder and inscrutable fascination, the, the hurricane speaks terror to my soul. It speaks of destruction. And yet, it's just a brief blip 
from the creator God who weighs the nations in the balance. It's amazing. As I was checking windy.com 30 times on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I was mesmerized by the demonstration of power and my limited existence as a person. I thought of Psalm 127 verse 1 and 2 that says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain do they rise up early and go late to rest for he gives sleep to his beloved. I thought of John 15 where Christ says, I'm the vine and you're a branch, a twig. I thought of 2 Corinthians 12 that says, the Lord's power is made perfect in my weakness. And it was a wow moment of my limited abilities. I thought about a man named Jim Croce. When I was growing up, I loved Jim Croce. He, was, he died at age 30 in a plane crash. He was only, uh, he's 30 years old. Uh, he was a, a ballard folk singer with a tint of bluegrass, the type of music I like. He had some bestsellers. Some of you have never heard of Jim Croce, but if you're older, you have. He had one, one song called Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. And he wrote this uh, after being in Fort Jackson basic training. He was uh, a soldier, and he was trained with a man named Leroy Brown. He said, quite frankly, Leroy Brown was one bad dude. He had a swagger. He was strong. Nobody ever crossed Leroy Brown's path. They were at Working one day, and Leroy Brown just walked away and went AWOL. He came back in three weeks to get his monthly check, and they, they arrested him. So it was bad, bad Leroy Brown, not smart, smart Leroy Brown, okay? But here, here are the words, pardon. Bad, bad Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole blank town, badder than, an, than old King Kong, and meaner than a junkyard dog. Bad. He wrote another song entitled, You Don't Mess Around with Jim. It's a story about, it's about, about a man who is strong and viral and he is kind of a hustler and he's abusive and it says this, you don't pull on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind and you don't pull the mask off that old lone ranger and you don't mess around with Jim. You don't mess around with Jim. But later in the book, excuse me, the ballad, Jim meets a guy named Slim and Slim beats him up. So the last stanza is, you don't pull on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger and you don't mess around with Slim. See, Slims are always beating up on Jims or Jims on Slims because no one is really at the top of the heap. But I, I've thought about this and I thought about, I watched the game last night, the game being the Clemson game. And I, I was really laughing. The head coach ran down the hill with all of his might ahead of the team. Very, pretty quick, pretty fast, pretty fast. And I thought, enjoy it. <laughs> if you're there another 10 years, you'll be coming down the hill after the team. That's just the way life works. Bad, bad Leroy Brown. And I thought about these guys running down the hill. And they, they, they're jumping now. You know, they, they jump high and kick and do a whatever, you know, a kung fu move or whatever. And I, I thought about the number of athletes, true, true, the number of athletes that have had season-ending in, injuries as they celebrated in the end zone. I thought, guys, be careful. See, when you get older, you're more careful. The things you do at 20 or 21, you would not think of doing at age 40 
or 63. And you think they're stupid when they do it because you know what can happen. Because you know that life has limited energies and realities. So that's, that's Psalm 62. We're going to go there very briefly. Psalm 62 verses 1 and 2 is the resolution. It's the resolution of David's experience. The resolution is this. Fine, for, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. That's the resolution. And then verses 3 and 4 talk about the issue. He's going through a difficult time. We don't know what it is. It's a difficult time. He's being buffeted about. The people around him, he says in verse 4, they, they, they plan to thrust him down, speaking of himself, from his high position. He's king. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. He says they're, they're liars and they speak well, but they're really cursing on the inside. But then David in verse 3 gives this amazing statement about his own person. Verse 3. How long will you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. So, so David refers to himself as, as a leaning wall and a tottering fence. And this is David. This is King David. This is King David who is the champion who, as a young man of 13, 14, 15, 16, would fight off bears and lions and protect the sheep. This is David, the young man who, aged 16, 17, fought Goliath and became the champion of Israel. This is David, the champion of whom the women of Jerusalem would sing and dance and say, King Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. This is David, the conqueror, the warrior, the king. And yet David's self-awareness is strong. He says, I'm a... I'm a tottering fence. I'm a wall that can easily collapse. In his assessment of man, in verses 9 and 10, he says, those of low estate are but a breath, boom. And those of high estate are a delusion. And the bounces they go up and they are altogether lighter than a breath. And he's saying when it comes to people, people are quickly gone and forgotten. He's writing about the naturalist view of life. I was doing some research this week. There's a couple in the church getting married in a place called Lynchburg. I've never heard of it. So I did some Googling on Lynchburg and read about what's in Lynchburg. And the answer is not much. But there is a place there that this is used to be the house of a South Carolina United States Senator named Ellison Durant Smith, called Cotton Ed Smith, U.S. Senator from 1908 to 1944. That's 36 years. U.S. Senator for 36 years. And I, I thought, I'm not a native of South Carolina. I didn't take South Carolina history in, in school. So I asked some people in the office who are South Carolinians who took South Carolina history. I said, have you ever heard of a man named Senator Ellison Durant Smith. They all said, no. This guy's a U.S. senator for almost 40 years and you've never heard of him. And I thought, how quickly people are forgotten. And I thought about, I love history, so I sometimes go through the, the presence of the United States. And I thought, you've got to be a history fanatic over minutia, memorabilia, to know who Franklin Pierce was. Or really William Howard Taft, kind of, sort of. 
or Chester A. Author. And just the issues, how quickly we are forgotten except in the courts of heaven. And that's why this, this verse reflects kind of a view of man that's expressed by his son in Ecclesiastes when Solomon has walked away from the Lord and gone through a horrible time in the midlife and he laments ever being born. But we know that there is a time when those who die will hear, he'll well, hear well done, good and faithful servant. We know that Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 on his deathbed, as it were, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith in the future. There is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award to me, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. All of us. We know James 1.12 says this, that says that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We know that life has meaning and significance. And so let me give you four quick lessons from this psalm on this Hurricane Sunday. Number one, we all have storms in our life, hard times. We're perplexed like King David here is in Psalm 62. We, we all experience that. We all have family issues. You know, think of David's family, very dysfunctional. Uh, David was described in the scripture as an incredibly handsome and gifted man, a great musician, a warrior, a king. His son Absalom, his third son, is described in the Bible as the most handsome man in all the kingdom, long hair. And I thought, if you want to see, a, a, if you want to see the sleek and the beautiful and the gifted, go to the King David and his family picnic. But if you want to see the dysfunctional, go to King David and his family picnic. You see, David had a daughter who was raped by her half-brother. The daughter was the full sister of Absalom. David did nothing. David was a horrible parent. Let's be honest with you. Horrible parent. Did nothing. So the young lady's brother, Absalom, was justifiably really ticked off. And so for two years, he brooded and brooded and brooded and became more and more angry until after two years, he threw a family picnic and brought in the brother that had raped his sister and he murdered him, killed him. And he fled for his life. And David and Absalom eventually became somewhat The, the issue was made up and Absalom lived with them, but David didn't really receive him and eventually Absalom I think out of sheer frustration seduced the people of Israel and says that he would stand outside and say you know David's a good king but I can be a great king David is fairly just but I can really be much more just and he seduced the people of Israel and he won the people of Israel and David had to flee for his life and as he fled he was pelted with rocks and cursed by a nobody David, the great warrior, the mighty king, David. And so I, th I think it's very likely he wrote this in the aftermath of that experience. And he was hurting. So family issues. Or sometimes this is an illness. People here today are going through, many through an illness. It's very, very difficult. I was reading recently an article entitled Searching for Healing, How to Counsel Individuals with Debilitating Chronic Pain. And in this article, the psychiatrist says that 125 million, million adults, 125 million adults in America experience some form of chronic pain. That's a lot. And that 15 million 
Americans have severe levels of pain every day of their life. That's debilitating. It's hard. Life is hard. Or then 30, just life circumstances where issues are just difficult. So, so church, we all have storms, and David has a storm, and in his perplexity, he discovers afresh the character of God. Number two, I must have enough self-knowledge to push me to despair or to the one who is a fortress and a rock. Verse three, David says, he says, how long will you attack a man and batter him like a leaning wall? Then he says, oh, for God alone. Oh, my soul, wait in silence, for your hope is in him. He says, know that God is, verse 2, the rock. He's your salvation. Know that he is your mighty rock, verse 7, that he is your refuge, verse 7. Know that he is the one who is your hope. So my second point is I've got to be stung enough by the self-knowledge of my need to run to the rock. And I think it begins with despair. The only way we ever run to the gospel of grace is that we're despairing. We realize that all the sin that comes short of the glory of God, and we can't do it on our own. The third point is this, that I must know enough about the forces arrayed against me who want to destroy me, verses 3 and 4, to cause me to run to the rock. That's why I was preaching on spiritual warfare a couple of months ago, because every person is living every day in some type of fog as we're stalked by a deadly predator or a master of deception. And the world, the flesh, and the devil all combine to bring me down. And where one begins and one leaves off, I I don't know. But Dave says there's forces out there to get me. My fourth point is this. I must progressively and continually know this God. And as I know this God, to quote verse two, I shall not be greatly shaken. When I know the, the reality of the living God, no matter what, comes upon me as I run to him and regain my composure and my perspective and my worship, I I will have a sustainability in my life. I I want that. I want, when we go through difficult times, and we will go through difficult times, I want to have a God-given, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered, sustained ability. I want you to hear this, though. I think this understanding of the character of God is birthed in a silence that thinks deeply about the character of God. Twice in this psalm, David says, I wait in silence. Verse 1, verse 5. For God alone, my soul waits in silence or tranquility or patience. So so my, my takeaway is that If I'm to think well, and if I'm to think biblical, God-honoring thoughts about the God who is, I've got to be a person who understands that thinking well and silence before God go hand in hand. I was reading a humorous article recently says that if you were a part of an intelligent life from another solar system and you came and you were observing planet Earth, you would think that all the adults on this planet were being ruled by an object that they hold in their hand and look at all the time. And I thought about 
the advent of cell phones. And when you, get, when you get to be a little older, it's kind of fun to think, think back. I, I was, I was driving, riding with a guy, a friend, through downtown Charleston 30 years ago, 33 years ago. I'll never forget it. He's driving a big Cadillac when Cadillacs were cool. And between the seats was this, looked like a telephone. I said, what's that? He said, that's a car phone. I said, what's the car phone? He said, it's a phone that goes in the car. <laughs> I said, do, do, do you mean I can pick up this phone and call my wife on this phone as we drive through the streets of Charleston? He said, yeah. He said, can I? He said, yeah, but it's $3 a minute, so make it quick. True story. <laughs> so I called Sarah and I said, Guess what I'm doing? She says, I'm riding through the streets of Charleston. She said, no way. I said, yeah. And I'm calling you on the phone. And I've got 25 more seconds. <laughs> that was not that long ago. 2007, thereabout, the iPhone was introduced. Did you know that the iPhone usage, the numbers of iPhone users doubled? between 2013 and 2015, that I saw a photograph, oh, I couldn't find it, I want to show it to you guys, but it's a, it's a picture of about 100 people going into a subway, on a subway platform, I think it's in London, it was a major city, 2007, next photograph, 2017, this is just dark, 2007, there were five or six people looking at their iPhones, 2017, all but two or three people looking at their iPhones. It's amazing. They said, we, we live in this, so we don't really see it. It's absolutely amazing. And see, I, I, love, I love iPhones. I love the internet. I love having the Encyclopedia Britannica at the tip of my fingers. It's neat. But there's a price we can pay if we're not very careful. I just want to say, God is the friend of silence and deep thinking about the character of God that, that leads us to do what the psalmist says in in verse 8, he says, so, so trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is our refuge. Pour out your hearts. As you see this great God who's a refuge and a savior and a king and our hope, pour out your hearts. Trust in him. So cell phone usage. This is from U.S. News and World Report about a year ago. The top 10 countries for cell phone usage, just for your understanding. South Korea is number one, 88%. Two, Australia, 77%. Three, Israel, 74 Four, the U.S., 72 72% of all adults in our country have cell phones. Spain, 71%. The United Kingdom, 68 Canada, 67 Chile and Malaysia, 65 And Germany, 60 it's just ubiquitous. So I, I say, understand that God is the friend of silence. So. David's ultimate hope that he looked to and trusted in was the coming Messiah King, whose name is Jesus. I thought about this statement, God is our rock. God is our refuge. And I thought about one of my favorite hymns written by a young man named Augustus Toplady. 
Augustus Toffoli died at the age of 37 as a very young man, two years before he died. He was in a thunderstorm, we think, out in the fields of, of England, and he found refuge in a rock crop and he, in the crevice, and he waited out the storm, and in the aftermath he wrote this hymn entitled Rock of Ages. Let me just read it to you. God is our refuge, fulfilled in the person of Christ. Top of what he says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded sight which flowed beat for sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Now listen, listen to these words. This is just the gospel. It's so beautiful. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my tears no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Christ is the rock of ages that David anticipated that we see with all glory. And uh, I trust that's your hope. I trust that's your refuge during this weekend. So, so God bless you. Thank you for being here. Let's pray. And so Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your tender mercies. And we do say uh, with, with David in our perplexities, our illnesses, our family disruptions, or just in the everydayness of life. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I pray we be people who have an enduring spirit that is eventually unshakable because we know that the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rules the winds and the hurricanes and watches over us. So, so God, teach us during these days. Teach us to wait and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.